yeah, like I just get fatigued more when I'm doing like my work and I end up spending like more time like on my phone than I should while doing work and like taking probably like too many breaks and not like bunkering down and actually getting focused because I find my brain just gets tired faster. Well, I know I was sort of just thinking about the whole idea around like getting fatigued around like communicating with even just your friends because like I, I've never been the type of person that will just text you randomly hey how's it going no, I've never been that type of person so I know like when the pandemic started and my like close group of friends that I saw like every day in person we talked in person you know um uh like I don't know we just talked a lot in person that was it that was like our main um, form of communication when the pandemic started we couldn't see each other in person we just never talked at all like we just we stopped talking where for like my i for the one job i work i have a couple co-workers where my one bot that i have like haven't met in person at all because our job's been online we've always met on like google meets and stuff like that um like i've met them in a couple classes in the past but never really in person and my boss like as a joke to make us so like we could communicate more we did like weekly like game nights or whatever and I would talk to them for hours, like just even over like Slack or like Instagram DMs or whatever, we'd talk for like hours because I feel like we never set the precedent of like, we know each other in person. We know what it's like to communicate in person. We know what it's like to hang out in person where we don't have that, like my 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 friend groups, so, like we would talk for hours on Zoom, playing like code words or all those like online board game type of things. And like, we would just like go on for hours. I never felt fatigued. I felt like refreshed talking to them where if I talked to my friends that I have a past speaking with in person, I felt sad. And like, I felt like I just wasn't getting what I wanted and what I used to get from when I saw them. In Part of the reason that this particular course is a concluding uh, activity that is about the idea of now or never is that very substantive moment where you're forced into saying okay this is my life now what is it that I really want to make sure I get to do before I'm not sure I'm not allowed to do it or I'm not able to do it and and then I just miss it and we always have these sort of things that are in our prioritization schedule but we don't necessarily always know where they come from or why they're there and really how much of them are this is what I want to do versus this is what I'm expected to do and that idea of now or never is a mutual one because you don't live in the world on your own you live in the world with other people and you live in the world with obligations and so on but then there's other sorts of things at play you're listening to culture is ordinary a podcast about media and cultural studies building off of what Lauren talked about a second ago did you lose some of the digital people that you have who are only digital or lose some of the analog people who you had to convert to digital to have a continued friendship with? Did anybody get lost in translation there? I guess like for me, it was, yes, like it was more uh, uh, my communication alternate, uh, it changed mostly into become like online. Uh, it wasn't that much bad, to be honest, maybe first semester it was a bit hard for me because it's the beginning of like you know uh, the year and you're coming after the summer but this semester I felt it was a bit easier although like it takes more time and like the lockdown is happening right now 
but uh, we uh, like or I found it like other way to become like you know uh, filling my time with instead of uh, the like the face to face communication did not cut like uh, my uh, just routine of going out because we need to be active sorta like during the day uh, and like normally we go to school or we come back like you know like we have at least twice time we need to be active and the more you become active the more you have like energy and I was trying just to keep those ideas inside like and trying to not like only think about it also like act or do it um to just add on what Noel has said I do agree that some of our digital communication has actually been a good thing. Um, I think I was already halfway there anyways before the pandemic just because I don't live close to my family and a lot of my uh, hometown friends. So uh, I've connected, I've, I'm always, you know, connected to them digitally. And I think that now it's uh, like I connect to some more people that I used to hang out with in person here uh, digitally for the most part. And it's a blessing and a curse sometimes I think it's it's definitely practical but yes like that uh human connection kind of is on hold for now so that has been my observation that notion of the human connection being absent and the digital spaces being present suggests that the things that we used to use digital spaces for to engender a verisimilitude a seemingness of reality of a human connection they're not quite as human as we thought they were, or perhaps they're not quite as humane as we thought they were, because they have different rules of engagement and different rules of operation that don't necessarily lend themselves to being a direct translation from the analog, ineffable experiences of, these are the things that make me happy, or these are the things that make me passionate. And yet in the digital space, these are the things that are functionally possible, as long as I edit and re-edit and present them in the right way. Yeah, I'm in a similar situation as Tala. Um, like wherein my family and all my friends from my hometown I only interact with digitally to begin with um I'm very very lucky to live with pretty much my entire friend group um but just seeing how it's impacted other people when they had to make a sudden shift to digital for their communications and it it's hard on people. It definitely is. And there's that additional notion of these are the things that I want to do. And now I have to fight to do the ordinary things. Everything from fighting for bandwidth to understanding how to take yourself off mute all the time to understanding how to schedule a time to meet with people in the spaces that they're in. We used to do those things because there were these imposed schedules upon us. And now there are these times where we have to look for, you know, opportunities and those opportunities are less spontaneous th sometimes than they used to be. You're listening to Culture is Ordinary, a podcast about media and cultural studies. When I first started thinking about this project, I did what I always do when I want to clear my head and have a good think about something. I went for a drive. And honestly, I went on a pretty long drive to think about this particular project because I started thinking about, you know, what what is my culture, what is my normal, and how does it differ from someone else's? What has influenced me to have this normal? 
So I started thinking back to my childhood and what could have influenced me then. Of course, you have friends and family and your surroundings, but I thought more in a media-oriented kind of sense. As a kid, I was left alone a lot, and I was left alone in front of a TV. So I would say I was pretty heavily influenced by the things I saw on TV as a kid. And then moving forward into my teenage years, you know, I got a laptop and access to the internet, and that led to sites like Tumblr and Twitter and YouTube and all, all these places where, again, I learned and was influenced by what I saw. And now I carry a device in my pocket with a screen that can tell me anything, anytime. And how much does that influence me? And then I started thinking, how does this influence translate to how I present myself and how others perceive me and what makes me, me? Is it the things that I like? Is it the things that I have? Or is it the things that I do? I've always kind of had a tough time defining myself because I don't really know who I am or what I'm doing. I thought I'd go to school and figure it out, but here I am at the end of my degree and I still don't know what the heck I'm doing. So. Through this, I kind of wanted to find out how I may have been influenced in a way that translates to how I present myself. So to get a broader understanding of how people define themselves, I asked around a bit. I feel like a job interview. I'm easygoing, I work well with others, and um, I'm a team player. Um, I learn quickly. Um, I'm a very visual learner. Kind of free-spirited, wild and free, if you would, if you will. Open-minded, spiritual and easygoing person. But at the same time, I'm also extremely anxious. Someone who's outgoing, basically, wants to meet new people all the time, ready for pretty much anything. I like to think of myself as an extrovert mixed with like some introvert. I'm a very easygoing person um, who, who um, is very adaptable in, in all, like, you know, job interview aside, I really think I am adaptable. So when my friends were defining themselves, I noticed that they spoke about themselves in terms that you would put maybe on like a resume. As Alex mentioned, it felt like a job interview, performative in a way. But they're also using terms that you might put on like a dating profile. I find that we have to categorize ourselves to know ourselves, to define ourselves, and I kind of struggle with this because these terms can change so easily. Maybe one day I feel like a super spontaneous person, and the next I feel the exact opposite. I guess there's nothing wrong with placing yourself in these categories and giving yourself these terms because it helps create more clarification of who you are and maybe helps understand yourself better and understand what you want and what you want to do. I was curious why they chose those terms to define themselves and wondered if there were any certain influences in their lives, maybe growing up or even now, that kind of changed or created a certain perspective for them to feel these ways. university has helped me figure out who I am. And I know that is such a cliche answer, but it's so true because I grew up in a really Christian home and it wasn't until I went to university that I was taught that I don't have to have one set mindset on 
all these topics. Like I can pick from any different perspective and be okay with that. Like I don't have to wholeheartedly believe in one thing. I would say definitely the Russian community. Like I am, I am Russian. Um, and where I live, there is a strong um, community. So people from Russia or uh, um, folks that immigrated from Russia a long, long time ago. Um, so they have definitely perceived or definitely influenced my way of life for sure. Like, um, you know, grew up speaking a second language and, um, you know, holding annual festivals and always going to them and just having that, always being surrounded by that culture. So my influence has always been like my parents and their friends because I've always been around them just like watching them and learning from them has like taught me a lot like the way they just like approach life it's not the traditional ways they've definitely mixed it with the westernized ways I think it's interesting to see how different people from different cultures or places or environments reflect on certain influences that they feel made them who they are. We all have broadly different normals, but they are normal to us and create who we are. For myself, I credit a lot of different medias and things that I saw on a screen growing up that have influenced me to make myself who I am. And it's interesting to listen to other people's perspectives on this because I do find that there are shared experiences through media. Growing up, we could have all watched the same show and experienced the same thing, but maybe we interpreted it differently, and that goes with all media. But also, maybe we found something the same within it. Um, you know, like, growing up, it was very hard to find representation of my own on television, because, like, you'd think back home, we'd have, like, you know, tell like, TV shows or anything catered towards us, but no, I was raised on westernized television, so, like, I was, like, I grew up watching, like, Zach and Cody, and, like, Phineas and Ferb, and, like, Hannah Montana, and most of that, most of those shows were, like, predominantly like white cast so it was very hard to like find role models in like a way however I remember like in like Phineas and Ferb they had like Baljeet and he was like the smart Indian kid and I was like dude I'm not smart as Baljeet I hate math so like I was like there's no way I can relate to this guy because I was like oh my god I'm doing so bad at math my parents hate me but like no and I think in the like in the past recent years, there's been more representation with like many shows on Netflix. Spotify is an influence. Um, I listen to lots of music, um, and mostly the, most of the same music. I tried the other day listening to um, the current like top 50 stuff and I wanted to die. And uh, I was like, you know what? Gotta go back to my roots, you know? And I just started listening to Fleetwood Mac radio again, as I always do. Of course, there are just the regular influencers. Like uh, Tupac has always been a huge influencer in my life. I just love his music and the message. And I feel like if people really dive into that, they could find like motivation there. Um, I'm listening to Hollow Notes. Yeah, Hollow Notes, you know. You make my dreams come true. The idea of finding your roots in media or having your roots in certain medias and listening to their messages or finding representation all matters 
The media matters in shaping who they are from what they see or what they hear or what they read. Hearing other people's experiences and influences from media or friends and family was interesting because it made me reflect on my own. Hearing people's different stories and upbringings makes me think how it's crazy how even if we experience the same things as a kid, they can have totally different impacts on us. Okay, so on to myself. I guess being heavily influenced by TV shows and movies growing up, I learned through a Hollywood perspective about life. That's not to say that I didn't grow up being heavily influenced by my surroundings. You know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, really. Um, I grew up outdoors a lot. I didn't grow up in a city per se, but really in the middle of nowhere. And I couldn't get anywhere as a kid, so I didn't socialize outside of school much because I couldn't reach anyone. So that's why I spent so much time with devices and electronics and screens and games. So I just kind of gained this perspective on the world through mostly cartoons, to be honest. Uh, like The Simpsons, I credit to my knowledge of so many things. Even though it's not really a credible source to learn stuff, but as a kid, I was like, this is the world. I am learning so much about everything through this show that I don't even really fully understand. And now, I'm constantly hooked online through social media, through my phone, through my devices. I have to do schoolwork online, I have to do regular work online, all that. It's all interconnected, and I get influenced by the things I see online too. I'm still influenced by friends and family, but through a screen, whereas growing up it was kind of more direct. But now I see posts from family members that I haven't talked to in a while, and I feel like there's some sort of disconnect because I see what they're doing, but I don't really know. I just see what they're posting. And I wonder, is this still influencing me in some way, or am I just seeing it through a screen where the screen acts as a lens or a filter? It's like a new perspective of looking at them. I would say my normal now for influence is, especially since COVID times, directly through screens. It It's almost exclusively through screens because, well, one, I don't see anyone, but everything I do now is through a screen. That's why I have to go on long drives to think about things because I can't otherwise just sitting at home. So my normal has been definitely influenced by this worldwide shift, this cultural shift to all things online. But to me, being an introvert, it's not that different from the influences I received growing up. I guess now everybody is experiencing this new normal, whereas I've been staring at screens my whole life. I would say that my phone and my devices have influenced me a lot and have shaped me in ways because they're an outlet to the world and to people and to friends and to media. I would say in a media sense that I credit so much to music and games and visual media to making me who I am. If it wasn't for certain albums and certain movies, I wouldn't have found the next thing that I really liked and the next thing. I don't know if I would say that these mediums truly define me but they have definitely helped shape me. You're listening to Culture is Ordinary.
Make hope ordinary. Here's the thing. This might actually be the beginning of something for me. When you have an idea in the back of your mind for as long as I have had now and kept on learning and learning and everything that you learn has reassured you that this idea is what you want to pursue, then you can't be too far off, can you? Even though you might be close to starting something, there always are excuses. And I'm not talking about excuses such as I'm not feeling well today or let me try tomorrow. I'm talking about excuses which seem reasonable enough to you and to your surroundings. The situation just doesn't allow it kind of excuses. Such doubts are very hard to overcome, especially because they seem so existential. I'm starting this project after the semester. I just have to focus on my classes for the moment. Quickly evolves into I'm starting my project after my graduation into I'll do it after my master's degree and in the blink of an eye you find yourself in a job you never wanted to do. What if you had started your project when you had the idea, even though you thought you didn't have the time at that point? Now, I'm certainly not a fan of appeals such as just do it. I think it's PR speech and I just do not feel addressed by it. However, when thinking about what I would never do, if not now, it's founding my own project and which, which I kept push, pushing in front of me for a long time. I've had many ideas about what that could look like and even those endless possibilities seemed intimidating. All those doubts kept up popping in my mind. There was this mental barrier I had to overcome. And now it's the time to overcome this barrier. Now might seem as good a time as any, but I know that if I don't start now, I will never stop finding excuses as reasonable as they might seem. So today I want to share my now or never with you and I want to make a first step in realizing it by making it public. To do so, I will have to reach back a little. I've had many ideas of what I want to do with my ordinary. I firmly believe that working for an egoistic goal won't make you happy. Getting the best paid job might seem very desirable until you have your dream job and all you do is stockpiling your money. You've got to give back something, at least that's how I feel. What a world we could live in if all of us were just a little more altruistic. However, that's not the case, is it? We live in a world in which egocentric behavior dominates our conversations and our actions. I want to work against that. I want to put up an organization which works closely with locals to improve their everyday lives, the ordinary, you could say, with a focus on environmental development and protection. Environmental development might, see, might sound a little odd to you, doesn't it? I'm from the Ruhr Valley, an area in Germany that has a rich history in coal mining. Of course, this industry is dead today. Since then, the region's econo economy is on a steady decline. But before the coal mining ended, every last bit of nature was destroyed, almost pushed to extinction, and the region inherited the ruins of a non-sustainable industry. It's easy to walk away from such a place and to move to another city which isn't in decline and which faces fewer challenges. But that's not who I am. I want to contribute to a green rise of my city and region from the ashes of its environmentally destructive past. Ordinary as it currently is here, it's not enough. It's not sustainable and it's just not future-proof. It can get better and it needs development considering both the locals and the environment. The region is in need for a new sustainable perspective and for hope. And if I have learned anything during this last semester, it's that hope matters. I learned this from Alan Kelsey, who wrote an entire book on how hope matters for overcoming the climate crisis. I think her mindset applies to many of the challenges modern societies face today. 
One of her key messages is that in a world where people are confronted by negative news 24-7, we all are discouraged from taking action to change our world for the better. Hope matters and so do stories of success and positive news which are far more likely to inspire people to take action themselves. So for me it's now or never to be part of creating that hope. I love to create and manage projects and to write about the process of doing so. During all my semesters in university, I wrote a lot of scientific essays which I thought were great only for them to be never read by anyone except my professors. Yet, I never wanted to stand in the limelight. Not I as a person. I still don't. I like to organize work in the background and to pull the strings without being put on display. Even making this short audio input, knowing that it will be made public, scares me to my bones. Reading Austin Kleon changed my perspective a little bit. He gave a great advice. Make sharing your work part of your normality. So maybe that's exactly what I had to learn to kick off my idea. In saying so, he focuses a lot on egocentric benefits. After all, if anything shines through in his work, it's that Cleon is a true capitalist. Yet he also mentions that in the process of creating art, or work for that matter, collectiveness is normal. I like this approach far better. It opened my eyes to the fact that I don't have to publish myself to generate outreach. I have to publish my work. That's the key difference. To have an impact, I don't have to work publicly, I have to make my work public. That has been a major realization for me, as easy as it might sound. It enables me to overcome my doubts and to pursue my vision of an environmental success sharing platform which itself actively participates in local projects. So what exactly do I want to work on? I've done an environmental project in the past. Back then we called it Be Healthy and instead of being another unfunny slogan it actually dealt with a very contagious honeybee disease, the American fall brood. Sounds scary, doesn't it? It's not dangerous for humans though, so you probably have never heard about it. At least I hadn't when I first met the chairwoman of a local beekeeper organization. She had a lot to say about the disease, how it spread, how dangerous it was to her bees, how the bees would die a painful, dissolving death, and how there was no cure for bees once they were infected. We started brainstorming about what we could do to inform other beekeepers about the disease, how to look out for it, and how to help prevent bees from getting it. Which is a challenge. After all, there's no way to tell a bee to not fly today. After a while, mutual trust started to build up and our project partner opened up. And there was so much more about the issue she hadn't told us before. It was not all about bees, far from it. She told us about the rivalry between beekeepers to a point where people would set fire to beehives of other beekeepers just to keep their bees safe. Pretty radical, and I didn't realize how many beekeepers there were in my city. It was a real threat to the hobby and sometimes even living. Together, we decided to create a project addressing all those problems. And we did. We created the website explaining the disease, how it spread, its effect on bees, and so on. We created an interactive map working as an early warning system. It's still online and allows beekeepers from my city to observe current and historic spreading patterns of the American fall brood. Now, if their beehives are located in a specific radius from where the disease is spotted, they get an alert as well as a risk analysis that enables them to quickly react to an outbreak. They now can move their bees to a safe place and test them before it's too late. The project was a huge success and we got overwhelming positive feedback. 
What I'm aiming at here is that I have never experienced anything more rewarding in the world than making positive local impact. I want to go out and be involved in such projects. I want to do real field work that has an impact on people's lives. So now you might be asking, why have you not continued then? It's not as if I was lacking the tools to do so. Everyone can create a website nowadays and I surely could have convinced some fellow students to join me. All it would have taken was for me to change my ordinary. But I wasn't ready to do so. I didn't continue because the project was part of a class. And after the class ended, the project was over. And although I was super excited to start another project, just like it, excuses came creeping into my mind. Exactly the excuses I talked about in the beginning. Excuses like focus on the semester and on your other classes, which, you know, seemed reasonable. So I continued my ordinary life without making my vision ordinary. But the idea of founding an organization which would inspire hope and promote projects such as Be Healthy, working closely in cooperation with locals, has never let go of me. Local life, after all, is ordinary, isn't it? So for me, it's now never to launch an organization for all this. An organization which overcomes political differences but gets politically involved in current issues. An organization which shares inspiration by taking action itself. An organization which publishes the inspiring ordinary by sharing its own and other successful local and environmental projects from central central platform. A platform which itself inspires the public to share, to copy and to do similar projects. A platform which promotes hope in doing all this committing to the public and to the environment. Commitment that starts locally. From my previous studies, I learned a lot about the public and how opinions are shaped. There's the need for solutions and for positive news. Let's make hope ordinary. And I'm starting now. I think it's important for us to reflect on the idea that if we look at the notion of cultural studies and media or mediation, the ideas of mediation are really a lot about the negotiation or the balancing between what we think the world expects of us based on our interactions with and our presentation of other people's experiences of the world and what we expect from ourselves as a result of internalizing them. And then we have to rebalance them across the, well, here's what seems normal. Here's what seems like we just do it because that's what we have to do. And there's that idea of routine. We don't have to stand in, in, in a line anymore. We don't have to kill time as much anymore. I mean, we do have to kill time at home, but we don't have to kill time in the same way that we used to. So those momentary little blips where you sit down for a minute, so you're killing time on the bus, or you're standing in a line, and you whip out your phone to look at a YouTube video, or scroll for a few minutes on an Instagram feed, or something like that, those moments are gone. And then you start to reflect on the opportunity to then... Well, be in that space all the time, because I like this. This is fun. This brings me something. And then you're there all the time, and you start to think to yourself, well, being virtually normal, not quite exactly as I would normally do it, it's not as much fun when I sit down and I have an infinite amount of time to sit here with this thing. And so we have to really rethink our relationship in a sense of what becomes integrated into the normal every day and what is necessarily something that we've been putting off that we have been thinking we can't do because, well, there's always somebody better. There's always somebody different. If I come up with an idea and I Google it, it's going to already have been done. But why not me? And I think that really is that moment where we should get to. There is that place where you say, it doesn't have to be perfect, but if I don't do it now, I'm just going to always get caught up in, I'm never going to be what I think it should be. 
and so I'm just never going to do it at all. So thinking about that notion of now or never is not thinking about the notion of becoming perfect, but thinking about the notion of everybody's ordinary has a certain level of value, and more than anything, it's foundationally yours. And if it's foundationally yours, that doesn't mean that it's automatically valuable to everybody else. But if it's not valuable to you because you don't prioritize it appropriately, cultural studies tells us that you should recognize that culture is ordinary. Culture is everything that we do all the time, and it becomes extraordinary because we value it. And it's useful for you to remember that notion of valuation, because without valuation, you don't really have the opportunity to give yourself the credibility to enjoy as well as build from what you do. And instead, you live within this juxtaposition of there's the right way, and then there's the things that I do. And that's just not quite enough. You're listening to Culture is Ordinary, a podcast about media and cultural studies. Culture is Ordinary is a podcast by Ravindra Mohabir, with generous contributions from his students in the Media Studies program at Vancouver Island University. You can find other episodes from Season 1 on your podcast provider of choice. See you next time.